to the word of the Lord in Genesis chapter 42, Genesis 42 and 43 this morning. Genesis 42 and 43. Looking at the life of Joseph. Amen. What a blessing it is just to even study or preach and teach on the life of Joseph. It is such a blessing, such a refreshing area of Scripture. Amen. It's life-changing, I believe, because when you look at a man that handled adversity, like this man handled adversity, it will encourage us also to live the same way. Amen. So I thank God for this, just a breath of fresh air in the life of Joseph. Okay, uh, chapter 42 of the book of Genesis. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Trust you'll pray for me as I seek to preach and teach the word of the Lord to you this morning. All right, the 42nd chapter, beginning with verse 1, says, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We open our minds. We open our hearts right now, Father God, to receive it. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Alright, so at this point we are moving now. Uh, Joseph has been exalted in Egypt. And according to the prophecy in Genesis 37 where he had a dream that his brothers would come down and bow down before him, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. The background, of course, for his brothers to come to Egypt is found in verse 5. If you'll look at that, please. The Bible says the sons of Israel came to buy corn among them that came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So obviously the famine in fulfillment of the dream, the interpretation of Joseph and the dream of Pharaoh is that there would be seven plenteous years and seven years of famine. So now we're moving beyond the seven years of plenty and we're moving into a time of famine which is the context of the passage. So go to 45 of Genesis and it will give you in 45 uh, verses 10 and 11 Genesis 45, 10, 11 Thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen and thou shalt be near unto me thou and thy children, thy children's children thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast and there will I nourish thee for yet there are how many years? Five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. So the context of this reunion then, there's five years of famine left, do a little subtraction, there's seven years of famine, 
that puts you in about the uh, second year of the famine when they come down. That's the context. So uh, it's about 20 to 22 years since J uh, Joseph has seen his brothers. A lot of time has come and gone. Again, the context is the reason why they're going uh, to get corn in Egypt is because the famine has not just reached uh, that particular area, but it's reached throughout the world. And so his brothers are going up in order to get some corn there in Egypt. Now, Joseph is already prepared for this. He knows that they were going to come. He knows it. God had given him a dream that his brothers would bow down to him. He knew that he would be reunited with his brothers at some point. And he knew that they would come and bow down to him at some point. So he was already prepared for this whole event. So he had time to think about what he would do when his brothers would come down to Egypt. He was prepared. Now, there's going to be a reunion that takes place here. But the reunion that takes place is interesting because the brothers that come down, the ten brothers, don't know it's a reunion. Only Joseph knows it's a reunion. Now, obviously, the Scripture says Benjamin was not allowed to go by Jacob. And we'll get into that in just a moment. So this reunion then between Joseph and his brothers after over 20 years is about to take place in fulfillment of the prophecy where Joseph said he his brethren would come down and bow down to him. And again, Joseph knows that this is going to happen and he recognizes them when they come. So in the reunion, Joseph knows it's a reunion. Brothers, brothers don't know it. Amen. Normally, when you have a family reunion, the family gets together and they discuss the plans to have a reunion so that when you show up, you know what you're showing up to. It's a family reunion. Amen. And most everybody knows that the family's coming. Right? Because preparation has been made for the family reunion. But this family reunion, part of the family doesn't even know it's a reunion. <laughs> Only Joseph knows it. Alright, so let's look and see what happens then. The Bible tells us the context again is the famine and they're going up to the land to uh, buy corn. Now this corn is not the corn that we eat in Texas. How many of y'all like corn? I like corn. You know, you know what kind of corn I'm talking about, right? Okay. This is not the kind of corn. When you read corn in the Bible, in the book, this particular area, this corn is the corn of wheat or the corn of barley. It's not the kind you eat, you know, like we eat, all right? So they're going up to get some corn. It's corn of wheat, corn of barley. Uh, famine's in the land. And so the Bible gives us the context here once again. Now, verse 6, the Bible says, Joseph is the governor over the land which we saw last Sunday morning. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. In fulfillment of the prophetic dream that Joseph had. It's been over 20 years. I want you to think about this. Over 20 years since they sold him into slavery. And twenty over 20 years since Joseph had that dream that his brethren would come and do this. Sometimes prophecy doesn't happen next week. It doesn't even happen a month from the prophecy. Sometimes it's years and years and years that go by before the prophecy ever comes to pass 
And a lot of times when you're dealing with the prophetic word, this is where people get in trouble. Uh, people who are prophets, for example, they get in big trouble. Because sometimes when God gives a prophecy, they want to put a time frame on it, and God didn't give them a time frame. Alright, so be careful with that. When a prophetic word is given, be careful about timing. Because if you give a prophetic word and you put a time frame around it, the time frame may not be accurate. The word may be accurate, but not the timing. You understand what I'm saying? So a lot of people get in trouble when it comes to prophecy and prophetic dreams because they don't know the time of the event. Over 20 years, the prophecy basically has laid dormant. God has been in the process of bringing things about. Why is this famine? Heavy? Has it even come to the land? Why is it even in the land? In order for God to fulfill His plan concerning His people. And it's been 20 years since the prophecy was given. But God is behind the scenes and He's working all these things out, including sending a famine into the land so that His plan for His people can be fulfilled. When you look at the situations, if you see a famine in the land, sometimes all you think about is the negativity, the bad that's here. But if it has come to a land, it is because God has a plan. It's not an accident that it's happening. And a lot of times people don't have the ability to see spiritually things that are happening, especially when it looks negative or bad to the person. They don't see beyond that. All they can see is that the famine's in the land, bad times are here. They don't ask the question, why? And the reason is, I'll say it again, so that the plan of God can be fulfilled. And that's the only reason and always the reason why things happen. Is so that God's plan can be fulfilled. And so famine has hit the land. As far as the world is their perspective is concerned, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. But from God's perspective, it's His way of getting His people into Egypt. It's His way for His plan to be fulfilled. And you have to have the ability to walk with God and see spiritually when you're going through adversity or times of famine in your own life. Because if you don't have the ability to discern the hour, you will think that everything that's happening to you is bad. Did you hear what I said? Amen. You cannot allow yourself to get carnally minded. Are y'all with me here? There is a reason why it's happening. And I'm not saying all bad things, you know, come from God. But I'm telling you that ultimately God has a plan in everything that's happening. He can make, make things happen for the good to them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Are y'all with me here today? So... This famine has hit the land so that God's plan can be fulfilled concerning His people. Do you have the ability as the people of God to see the times and discern the times and understand what is going on? Or, all, or when you see bad times come, is that all you see? Is bad. Really? It might not be so bad. It might be that you're in the hour for the fulfillment of God's plan. Amen. In a large scale, prophetically, or maybe just an individual situation. 
So you have to have the ability to pray and to be in touch with God. And just like Joseph, know that God was with him no matter what he went through. No matter what his adversity was, no matter what the problems were that came to him, he was a spiritual young man. That's the problem with the church. Forgive me, but I'm going to tell you. The problem with God's people today is they don't have the ability to see through adversity and problems and see God. Are y'all with me here? Even when Job went through his problems, and, and, and you know how severe it was, he saw through all of his adversity, he even saw beyond the devil. And the Bible says, when he started losing everything he had, including his health, the Bible says he worshipped God. And you know what he said? He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You have to have the ability, church, to see beyond the adversity and even see beyond the devil and see God. And these, these men are in the Bible as examples to us. They're in the Bible for a reason. These people had the ability to see beyond their adversity and see beyond great challenges in their life and see God and understand that God's got a plan. And when God gets through here, something good's going to come out of it. But when you're going through that time of adversity, and, and, and I know how it is, especially, you know, when you first come into the church, everything's good. You first come into the church, it doesn't matter what your situation is in life. You're just glad to be in the house of God. Amen? I mean, you're happy just knowing God and you hear about the cross and you just cry about the cross and how much the love of God is in your life. And you know, you still got problems. But for some reason, you get in the church and after a while, you have any little problem that comes. It's not even, are y'all with me here? Close to what it used to be before you got in the church. And all of a sudden, you get depressed and get discouraged and all that crazy mess. I'm going to rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that that's not the way we should approach life. Everybody here, including myself, have great challenges in life. Great challenges. But how you see it and how I see it is what is important. And these people are in the Bible as an example to us for a reason. They're heroes of faith. They had the ability to overcome. Are y'all with me here? Now I'm going to say this to you. We're moving into that time called the end time right now. It may not be very long before the seven year tribulation period begins. And if you can't handle it right now, you're not going to handle it then. If you can't handle the pressure right now, if you can't handle everything falling apart right now, you're not going to make it when those really intense times call. Jesus said it's a time like the world has never seen. And I'm just saying this to you. It's time for you to begin to see beyond what you see with your natural eyes and get in touch with the Spirit of God because God's got a plan. Even in the tribulation period, He's got a great plan and a great purpose. Hallelujah. What is that great plan and purpose? The redemption of mankind. And he's going to have to judge the sinner, yes. But his ultimate plan is to redeem the sinners. Are y'all with me here? Because there's some people, they're just not going to listen to God until everything is shaken. They're not going to listen to God until everything that it can possibly shaken is shaken. And what's going to be revealed when everything is shaken that can be shaken? The kingdom of God. Are y'all hearing that? Give the Lord praise. 
So it's time for you to change your mind. It's time for you to change the way you look at things in life. Amen? God understands when we go through problems. I could tell you what's happened to me in the last couple of days, but I'm not going to. It hasn't been fun. I'll promise you that. Very painful things that have taken place. Amen. Uh, through loss, but I'm just saying to you that God is still God. He still sits on the throne. And if you come here today and you're just, you know, you're sucking your thumb, you got your head down, it's time for you to repent, get your head up, and start looking and seeing God. Stop talking about the devil. Stop talking about all your problems and start talking about God. God is on the throne. God is in control. Hallelujah. Something good's going to come out of this. I don't understand it, but God is still in charge. And I'm telling you right now, if you can't handle this hour, you're not going to handle the hour to come. The Bible says if the footmen weary you, how are you going to handle the horseman? When the rider on the white horse comes, and then the rider on the what the red horse then the black horse and the pale green horse when those horses begin to ride how in the world are you going to be able to make it if the footman's wearing you right now how are you going to make it when a flood hits the land when a storm like you've never seen hits the land. I'm just telling you right now because I love you and I believe I'm speaking by the Holy Ghost. It's time for some of you to change your attitude. It's time for some of you to change your spirit. It's time for some of you to begin to see things differently and start giving glory to God in every adversity and giving glory to God for all of your troubles because God has a plan in all of it. And the fact that there's famine in the land is God working His plan to put His people in a place that they can be protected, in a place that they can be provided for, so that they can grow as a congregation. It's, it's basically God's incubation for them. So they can grow into a great nation from 70-something souls into a great nation. And when they leave Egypt, there's going to be 2 to 6 million people that have come out of God, God's incubation time frame. And He's going to make a nation out of them. And He's going to marry them at Mount Sinai. Are y'all with me? It's God's plan for them to grow. It's God's plan for them to become a nation. I'm telling you today, you need to get a hold of God in this hour. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So they went up. And the context tells us why they went. It's because of famine in the land. And the Bible says God's already got His ruler in place. And that's Joseph. God's already got His plan to work it out for the good. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Before you ever have a need, God's already got it worked out. Instantly. God can turn it around instantly. I've seen situations, I told somebody not long ago, you know, just stay where you are, just trust God, amen. Things might be slow, just stay where you are, trust God, it's going to be alright. And uh, when the time came, they needed to do something different. It didn't take them but less than a day to find a brand new job. You know why? Because God had it all worked out. God already had the door. In fact, when the man walked in and to talk to the, to the main person about the job, the man begged him to come to work for him. And pay, was going to pay him more money than what he was making at the previous job, and he wasn't doing too bad there. 
God has everything already worked out. And when you start going through hard times, just think about this. God is just repositioning me for blessing. God is just repositioning me right now. You understand, God's getting ready to bless my life. That's why I'm going through what I am. He knows I would stay right where I am and be content with where I am if he did not allow this famine to come to me. But because hard times have come to me, it's made me make some changes in my life and those changes in my life are going to bring blessing to me and God knows that. I've been in situations and I'm telling you, they were rough. And I didn't understand them. But I want you to know this, I wouldn't have made a change because I'd have stayed content with where I was. But God used that. You understand like an eagle in a nest starts taking the comfort zone out of the nest, takes all the, the nice feathers and takes all the nice fur or the rabbit fur out of the bottom of it and all you got thorns and everything. And the little eagles, then I got to get out of here. This is uncomfortable. And only then do they learn to fly. Until they're sitting in that, as long as they're sitting in that little eagle's nest and there's all the fluff and all the fur and there's no, nothing to cause them to get up and fly, they're going to stay there. God knows that. So He starts taking the rabbit fur out of the nest. He starts taking the comfort zone out of the nest. And it starts getting a little uncomfortable for you. Thank God for that. Because it's going to cause you to get out of your comfort zone, get out of your nest and begin to fly. Give the Lord praise in the house. He knows Jacob. He knows these brothers would have stayed in the promised land. That's the land where Messiah is going to be born. Why would you want to go to Egypt? God knows it. So He has to begin to take away their comfort zone so that they'll start getting ready for a change, getting ready for a different place. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So when you see things coming in your life and you don't understand it, you have to walk by faith. And you have to be able to say, God, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. But Lord, you're allowing it or it's coming because you've got a plan. That's the reason why it's here. Your plan. What is it, God? Are y'all with me? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. See, and when I preach like this, you know what starts happening to you? You start feeling bad for the way you've been acting. Because you know you haven't been acting right. You know you've been you given you've given way to despair and and discouragement. You know that. And when I preach the life of Joseph, it puts us all under conviction because Joseph didn't handle life the way that we handle life. He didn't walk around bemoaning his situation, feeling sorry for himself, giving in to despair and discouragement. He got up and he kept serving and he kept believing and he knew God was with him no matter what he was going through. He put a smile on his face and served with joy. Give God praise in the house in the mighty name of Jesus and some of you need to get a hold of God in your life. Because all you can talk about all the bad stuff that's coming your way. No, talk about God's got a plan. I don't know what it is, but He's making some people uncomfortable right now. He's making my family members uncomfortable right now. He's making people, He's making the world uncomfortable right now. He's going to bring the world to a place where they're going to say, we need change. And only Messiah, only Jesus can bring it. Give the Lord a worship. Give Him a praise. Last Sunday morning we talked about Joseph coming out of prison and, and his exalt, exaltation and, and how God used him to plan for the future. Do you understand that? 
And what God can do, He can change it in a minute. He can take you out of the prison house, out of a dungeon, and put you on a throne somewhere. But you've got to go through that pain and that process in order to be developed in your character so that when, you, when it's time for you to be in that position in order to have authority, to call the shots, you're going to have the character to go along with the position. But until you go through some stuff, you don't have the character to handle the position. Give God worship. You have to have the ability. God is working on me right now. God's building character in me right now. It's, it's uncomfortable, but I've got to change. Hallelujah. I've got to change who I am. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Now, all right, y'all, y'all doing good. Sit down just a minute. Okay? Now, you can hear the Word of God. And you listen to me. Everybody look up here. I'm not down on the ground. That's why I know when I'm really preaching good, everybody starts looking down on the ground. Okay. Here's your two options this morning. You can hear the Word of God and you can change according to the Word of God. Or you can refuse the Word of God and refuse to change and let God keep sending one famine, one test, one trial after another until you learn the hard way. I don't want to learn the hard way. When God gives me a word, I'm going to live by the word. When God gives me a word, I'm going to live by the book. When God calls me to change, I'm going to change. Because I don't want to go, I don't want to learn the hard way. Oh friend, experience is not the best teacher. It's a hard teacher. So you got a choice today. You can keep, keep the attitude you got. Amen. And go out there and let God deal with you in a hard, hard, hard way. Or you can say, that's right. That's the Word of God. I'm going to believe the Word of God. I'm going to make the changes according to the Word of God. And then God doesn't have to send the scorpions. How many of you like scorpions? I can't even, I don't even like to look at them. <laughs> Amen. But God has sent the scorpions, man. You with me here today? I don't want the scorpions. I want the Word of God. Because the Word of God is full of grace and mercy and love and compassion. But I've got to, when I when the Word of God goes forth, I can't let it go in one ear and out the other. I've got to apply it. And I've got to say, yes, Lord, yes. And you can't be a Judas Iscariot, as we preach Wednesday, who never called Jesus Lord. And as a result of that, where is He today? He's in hell. You've got to be able to say, yes, Lord, yes. You've got a plan. There's famine. You've got a plan. Shake it, Lord. Shake it. Hallelujah. When you see family members going through things and they're not in the will of God, don't say, oh, Lord, make it easier for them. And don't go and try to bail them out. Say, shake it, Lord, shake it. Shake them, Lord, shake them. Bring them to the end of themselves. Bring them to repentance, God. He knows what it'll take. Hallelujah to the Lamb. When I see people that I love going through things and not in the will of God, I don't try to help them and, and make them feel more comfortable. I say, shake them, Lord, shake them. Because hell is a long time. Heaven's a long time. Amen? Now, as I preach to every one of you today, because you're a moral being, you're going to spend someplace, somewhere, someday, either heaven or hell. Amen? Uh, praise the Lord. I, uh, my... Uh, dog died yesterday and I had her for 12 years and she was you know I probably love her better than I love anybody on planet earth even more than your wife will 
It's a good, it's probably a tie. Even more than your kids, well, still probably a tie. You know, and the reason why is because that dog was faithful and loyal. She, Christina says she was a Christian. <laughs> and, I, and I believe it because she had the best attitude of anybody I've ever seen. Loyal, faithful, obedient, had the right spirit. Amen. Loving, kind, generous in every way. Are y'all here with me? You know, and it was hard, uh, hard to, to take her in and, and look at the doctor and say, it's time for her to rest. But you know when it's time. She was in bad shape. But later on, you know, God is amazing to me. Because when, when you're going through that, th that time of loss and whatever or something like this, and I really felt the Lord, and I, it may be just my own mind. I told Christina, but I felt like God spoke to me something, and, and I'm going to share what it, what it was. He told me, the good thing about baby girl, your dog, is that she's a non-moral creature, which means she has no eternal consequence. The good news about your dog is that she's not in hell today. Amen? So she's resting today. She's not in hell today. But see, when I preach to you and I preach to myself this morning, everybody in this church, including this pastor, you are a moral agent. That means you're accountable to God for your decisions in life. And you're going to spend heaven or hell. I want to go by the Word of God. I want to make it to heaven. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I want to be obedient. Praise the Lord. I want to be a good Christian like baby girl was. She's a good Christian best Christian. And you know, something about a dog, a dog doesn't do you any, do any, any harm. They just love you. Praise God. They protect your house and love you. Loyal, obedient. That's why I say I, love, I probably love her more than anybody on planet earth because I've never met a human being, including my wife or my children that, that treated me as good as she did. <laughs> Are y'all with me here? I think I could shed more tears on, on her death than I do most people who die. Oh, yeah, you don't like people. Well, praise the Lord. Do you? Do you? Are y'all here with me? But she never did me any harm. But how many people do me harm, man? So praise God. I'm not saying I rejoice when you did, but thank God. I mean, you know, at least I don't have to deal with your problems no more and you're giving me trouble. You know what I'm saying. We got a choice this morning. You're a moral agent. You're not an animal. When the Word of God goes forth, God's going to hold us accountable for everything that we heard, every message, every service we went to, everything. God's going to hold you accountable. And you can let it go in one ear and out the other and act like you didn't hear it. But God loves you enough to say, I'm trying to help you. You don't have to go through the pain and suffering. Amen? So when people start going through things, just let God shake them. Let God shake them because heaven and hell is a long time. Eternity is a long, long time. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's got a plan. And I believe His plan. So no matter what happens, you've got to keep your head up. Lift your head up. Lift your head up. Get your head up. Get your head up. Do you believe in a risen Lord? Do you, do you believe in exalted Jesus today? 
You have to have an expectation of an exalted Jesus. You have to have an expectation of an exalted Jesus. I believe that he is exalted right now that he sits upon the throne and he's able to provide and able to protect and able to take care of us. If Joseph, who's a type of Jesus in his rulership, and he is, then it lets me know today Jesus is on the throne and he's going to take care of you and he's going to take care of me. Hallelujah. He cares about us. And anything that's happening that we look at it might seem bad, it's all good because God is on the throne to the Christian. He's going to turn it around for the good. In the mighty name of Jesus. So the Bible tells us after 20 years, a prophecy given 20 something years before, that now it's time for fulfillment time. It's fulfillment time. I told y'all, I think it was either last week or the week before, that there are some prophets in the earth. They have the gifts of the Spirit. They have prophetic gifts. But the Lord spoke to me in the middle of the night not long ago, and He said they don't have prophetic order. They don't understand how order works. All they, all they, you know, well, I had a dream or I had a prophetic word, but there's order, there's time, there's patience for those things to be fulfilled. You understand what I'm saying? Joseph understood not only the gifts of the Spirit, but he understood how to walk in order with God and to be patient and to wait patiently for God to fulfill His promise. It's one thing to have the gifts of the Spirit. It's another thing to walk in the order of God. Are y'all here with me? Where you have the ability to wait patiently for a prophetic word to come to pass. Because you have to understand God's got a big world He's got to move into position. How many of y'all believe that? How many of y'all want, you want you know, all your circumstances and everything to change by tomorrow? What if it doesn't? You want to quit God? No. Trust in God. 20 to 22 years since the prophecy was given. It's fulfillment time. Hallelujah. God's working it out. The famine is the background. Let's keep going. So the Bible says in verse 7 that Joseph saw his brethren and he what? He knew them. They didn't know him. He knew them. 20, 22 years have come and gone. They sold him when he was 17. He stood before Pharaoh when he was, or 13 years later when he was 30. Amen. So that's, what is that, 13? That's 17. And the famine's been about two years. So you're around 20 years or so since all those events took place in the life of Joseph. Does this make sense to you? And so now it's fulfillment time. And the Bible says they come and they bow down. And the Bible says that Joseph knew them but guess what? They didn't know him. They didn't even know that when they fell to the ground before this man, that it was their brother. They didn't even know that when they uh, uh, played obeisance to him and bowed down, that it was a fulfillment of the prophecy. They didn't even know it. But Joseph knew it. And he had prepared for this day because he believed in the Word of the Lord. He knew exactly the steps he would take. He knew exactly what he needed to do in this whole situation. They didn't know it, but Joseph did. It's fulfillment time. How he must have rejoiced. He saw the dreams of the butler and the baker come to pass. He saw the dreams of Pharaoh come to pass. And now he's seeing the dreams that he had personally 
come to pass. Amen? And they're bowing down. And it's reunion time. But the family doesn't even know it's a reunion. Amen? Plans weren't made like a family reunion would normally be set up. Hallelujah. I thank God that my family don't have family reunions. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, y'all like them, I don't. It's a mess to me. Hallelujah. But they didn't even know they were having a family reunion here. Amen? And so the Bible tells us Joseph saw his brethren. He knew them, knew them, but made himself strange unto them and spake roughly unto them. Hmm. What's going on here, Joseph? You're such, I've been, you know, I've been preaching Joseph as such a splendid character and a person to follow and uh, as an example of how we're supposed to be. And then all of a sudden now we see Joseph at the family reunion who they know nothing about. He does. You know, if you go to a family reunion, you want to be your best behavior, don't you? You want to pay compliments. You're looking good, man. You've gained 50 pounds, but you're looking good. You know what I'm saying. You want to be at your best behavior if you're going to have a family reunion, right? So you put on the front and you talk about how everybody looks good and you're lying through your teeth. That's why I'm telling you, this is a very unique family reunion. They know nothing about it. He does. And when they show up, he speaks roughly to them. This is not a, a slam on Joseph's character. Because when he speaks roughly to them, it's not out of vengeance. He doesn't do it because he's full of hatred. He doesn't do it because he wants revenge on them. The reason why Joseph speaks roughly to his brothers is to test their character. <clears throat> In the mighty name of Jesus. Joseph is tender-hearted. Joseph is going to weep seven times. Tears are going to run down Joseph's face in relationship to his family members. He's tender-hearted. He loves them. There's no revenge. There's no hatred in Joseph's heart when he speaks rough to them. But he has to speak rough to them because there has to be a mirror that's put up. Joseph speaks rough to them because he's got to see. Are these the same brothers that I knew 20 years ago? Or are these brothers changed? You with me today? Have they changed? Is, there, is these the old brothers or are these the new brothers? Amen? Are these, are these the same ones that took me and treated me roughly? Are these the same ones that threw me in a pit and took my coat and killed an animal and put it in the blood and told my daddy that I was dead? That sold me into slavery? Are these the same ones that treated me roughly? Joseph knew he had to test their character. Listen to me here. Because he wants to bless them. But blessing in the hands of a person who has no character will only be lost. I'll say it again. 
Blessing in the hands of a person who doesn't have character will only be lost. So Joseph knows it. He knows that the, these men have to be changed and he wants to test their character. So sometimes, listen to me, the, if the right people speak to you roughly, it is not because they hate you. It is not because there's vengeance or revenge in their heart. It is because they are being used by God to test you. Are you the same person? Are these the same brothers that mistreated Joseph 20 years ago? That all has to be tested here. Do you understand? And so what you're going to see is a mirror that's going to be put up, spiritually speaking. And what they did to Joseph, they're going to have to see themselves in that mirror. Do you understand? They're going to have to think about how they treated Joseph. When they're being treated roughly, they're going to see in the mirror Joseph. This is the way we treated Joseph 20 years ago. We didn't treat him right. We treated him rough. Amen? And now we're getting treated rough. We see Joseph in the mirror. And the Bible tells us, do you understand what's going on here? It's not again out of hatred or vengeance. It's about him testing their character. So the Bible tells us, he spoke rough to them and, and he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. Amen. Over 20 years has come and gone. He has, he's not dressing the same way he used to. He's got royal apparel on now. They can't recognize Joseph. He doesn't, he, he doesn't even look, he's not even the same person. He doesn't even look the same after 20 years. They still look the same. Are you, boy, God's talking to me right now. He's talking to you right now. You think about the brethren when they showed up. They still wearing the old clothes that they used to always wear. They still look the same way that they always did. Not much has changed with them. Maybe a little age, but that's about it. Still the same old clothes. Still the same old, same old. Amen? But, some, but Joseph's, he doesn't look the same. When you see Joseph after 20 years, you don't, he don't see in the same Joseph that you put him through, took him through in, into a pit when he was 17 years of age. He's wearing royal apparel. Hallelujah. He's in a royal position. Thank you, Jesus. So he asked him questions. Where'd you come from? He knows. But they said from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. And he said to them, you're spies. To see the nakedness of the land you're come. Ah, your motive. He said, I know your motive. Your motive is to spy out the land. Your motive basically is to gossip about the land. Are y'all with me? So you're, you're, you, you don't have pure motives. You didn't come here just to get corn, buy corn. You're spies. Now think about this. 
What's that going to do in their mind? It's going to cause them to remember where they, when they went to Dothan to take the sheep of, his, of their daddy. To feed over in Dothan. And a little bit further than Dothan they went. And Joseph was, was sent by his daddy to go and find them in the field. And when he got there, they looked at him as a spy. They didn't look at him as a brother. They looked at him as a spy. So now Joseph again, the mirror is up. You treated him rough in the past. Now it's time for you to be treated roughly. You saw him only as a spy in the past. Now it's time for you to be seen as spies in the present. To call them to remembrance. The Bible continues. Verse 10, they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's son. We are true men. <laughs> At this point, they're still not in a place of repentance. Total repentance. Okay. Amen? Because whenever Joseph questions them and says, No, you're spies. I mean, how would you take that? Somebody pointed a finger at you. Have you ever gone through something with somebody and maybe they spoke rough to you or maybe they said things to you and in that process you remember in your mind you did that to somebody in the past. And God is using that situation right now to cause you to remember how you treated somebody in the past. It's coming to your mind. See, a lot of times people go through things, go through hard times, but they, never, they don't have the ability to say, what I'm going through right now is because of something I've done in the past. Does that make sense? I'm being talked to right now the way I'm being talked to because I did the same thing. I'm being accused of something because I did the same thing. I accused somebody else of the same thing. And so there's a mirror here that's being put up. But you know what they said? No, we're true men. Self-righteousness. We're not who you claim that we are. We're not spies in the land. We're true men. Oh, really? You're true men. You're men of truth. Oh, really? No, you're just full of self-righteousness in need of repentance. And so the mirror has been put in front of your face so that you could come to a place in your life where you could stop, stop feeling so self-righteous and to recognize the need to repent. So sometimes when I go through things in my life, I have to ask myself, Lord, am I going through this because of something I've done in the past? Is this being mirrored? back to my life. Amen? We need to think about these things. When you're going, don't, don't waste a good test. Don't waste a good test because you know what's going to happen? Another one's going to come up and it's going to be just like the one you just went through. And another one's going to come up. You know why? Because you keep wasting your test. You're not passing them. You don't see what's happening to you as a result of bad decisions. 
You don't see the results that's happening to you is because you didn't do some things right. You have to have the ability to see it. And so the Bible says he questions them, their integrity, their motivation. He said to them, Nay, but you see the nakedness of the land you are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the younger is this day with our father. Remember Benjamin? Jacob said, No, you're not taking him. Joseph's gone, but you're not getting Benjamin because those are the two sons of Rachel, my beloved. Remember his connection to Rachel? Benjamin is Jacob's last connection to Rachel. And he's not a he's he's just not about to let Benjamin get out of his sight. He's already lost Joseph, but he can't lose Benjamin, his last connection to Rachel, his beloved. Do you understand? The brethren begin to confess. In verse thirteen, they said, "Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with our father." And one is not. You start sensing now that it's working on them. That what they did to their brother and one is not. That one that is not, they're remembering now. It's starting to work on them, church. What they did to their brother about 20 years ago. And they're honest with, with this man who they don't know is Joseph. They're honest. Benjamin's at home, but there's one is not. They're starting to move gradually as they look in the mirror to remember the one that is not. The Bible says, And Joseph said unto them, That is it that I speak unto you, saying you're spies. Verse 15, Hereby you shall be proved. I'm going to put you to the test. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth hence except your younger brother come hither. Alright? Here's, here's your test. See, this whole thing's been a test. Are these changed men? Are they different? Amen? Is their attitude different? He says, now, he said, you got one brother that's not here right now. He said, you, by Pharaoh, he said, you go get Benjamin. And you bring Benjamin here. You know what Joseph's doing? He's testing them to see. Did you do the same thing to Benjamin that you did to me? Did you do the same thing to my full brother? F-U-L-L, full brother. My brother of my mother. Did you do the same thing to him that you did to me? Go get him, get Benjamin, and bring him back. Y'all with me here? He said, you send one, verse 16, and let him fetch your brother, and you shall keep, be kept in prison, that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. He put them all together in the ward for three days. He threw them in prison. And while they're sitting in that prison cell, it's going to work. 
This mirror that they've been looking at, the way they've been talked to, the way they've been accused, the fact that it's working on them, what they did to Joseph by them saying one is not, as they confess that, and now being thrown into this prison, they're going to remember what they did to their brother when they took him and they threw him in that pit. It's going to work. They're going to have three long days of sitting in a prison house not knowing what's going to happen to them to think about what they did to their brother. Verse 18, Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Of pr your prison, Go ye carry corn for the famine of your house, but bring your younger brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. Is it going to work? See, I told you Joseph had planned this all out. He'd been thinking about it for a long time, praying about it a long time. How can I test the character of my brethren? Did it work? Did this mirror that he put up before their face, did it work? Let's see. The Bible says, And they said one to another, We are very guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. We refuse to listen to the cries of our brethren. You understand? And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. It worked. They came to realize as they were going through this in their life that they, listen to me, it's being reflected back to them what they did. They're reaping what they sowed in their own life. But the good things, church, is that when they recognized it, they confessed it. Do you understand? See, sometimes there has to be this mirror that's put in front of our place and we're going through these things and then we see it. Oh, I get it! And until you go through that process... You don't get it. You don't put the two together. So God uses it. And when you find, now I know why I'm going through what I'm going through. Why I'm being spoken to like I'm being spoken to. Why I'm being treated like I'm treated right now. It's because of what I did to my brother. And I'm, I'm preaching to you today, if you think this is about your natural family, it's not. It might be in some ways. But this is a spiritual book. This is about the family of God. And when you look at situations in your life and it's mirrored back to you, you have to ask yourself the question, did I treat my brother like that? Hmm. You know, this is what I did. These are the steps I took. This is the way I talk. This is the attitude I took. This is what we did. I get it, God. It's all about how we treated our brethren. 
I get it, God. I repent. I confess, Lord. And really, that's what God is after. And I want you to understand about this mighty man named Joseph is that this mighty man had no vengeance in his heart. He wasn't angry with his brothers for what they did. Are you understanding? Joseph had to come to terms a long time ago with his own life and what had happened to him. And you know what he did? He didn't walk around with resentment. He didn't walk around with unforgiveness. You know what he did? He forgave his brothers year ago, years ago. And because he had the ability to forgive the wrong that was done to him, he is going to be used by God to save that nation. If he allowed himself to get bitter, if he had allowed himself to get just full of resentment and, and revenge and hatred, Joseph would have faded off the scene. But he said, long ago, I forgive my brothers. But they have to come to an understanding that they need to repent. And it worked. How many today right now you're holding resentment and unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness on the inside of you? It's not going to get you anywhere in life. It's not going to get you anywhere. You have to look in the mirror and say, I see now. It's because I did some things wrong. And God is allowing this mirror to be put in front of me so that I'll say, I did wrong. I repent. If you're the person that was wrong and you're Joseph today, you can't go through life harboring bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment at some point in your life because it's killing you. It's killing you right now where you sit. That bitterness and hatred and anger is killing you. You just got to say, God, I'm going to let it go. Lord, I forgive in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to trust you, God, to take the mirror and put it in front of their face and let them see what they've done so that they'll repent. Hallelujah. And the good news is the mirror worked. And His ability to forgive worked. Amen, amen. amen. It's a beautiful story. So if you're Joseph today, forgive. If you're one of the brethren today, one of the brothers, look in the mirror and see. Amen? And Reuben says... The older brother says, you know, I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. So guess who gets thrown in prison while the brothers go back home? Simeon, whose name means hearing. Reuben said, you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't hear when I pled for my brother and they had already confessed we did not listen we didn't hear his voice when he cried. When we saw the anguish of his soul, when he besought us and we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. We wouldn't listen. We wouldn't hear. Reuben said, you wouldn't listen to me. And so now the one that's fixing to get cast into prison 
is Simeon, which means hearing. Hearing will be bound. Hearing will be bound. Your hearing was bound when they cried out, when Joseph cried out in anguish. Now, hearing will be bound. We're going to take Simeon and put him in prison. Verse 23, they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. He was there the whole time when they were talking. He heard them make the confessions. He heard them with their own mouths remember what they had done to, to, jo to him. And you know what he does? When he hears their confession, their repentance, the Bible says he goes out and he weeps. He wept. He turned himself about from them and wept and returned them again and, and communed with them. He didn't sit there and break down and cry in front of them. I mean, if he'd have done that, you know, this whole thing would have been, what's up? What's going on here? Why is this man crying? Something more here. No, he walks away from them and he in secret weeps. Why is he weeping? Is he weeping out of sorrow? Is he crying out of sorrow? No, he's weeping out of joy because these people, his brethren that mistreated him through that mirror God is using brings them to repentance and confession. And so his cry, his tears are tears of joy. His tears are not tears of sorrow or pain. His tears are joy. They're repenting. They're confessing. Hallelujah. They're getting right with God. You ever been in that situation? Where, where you're just trusting God to show the mirror so that the person will come to repentance. And when they do, you're not going to sit there and cry because you're sorrowful. You're going to cry because these people are turning. They're going a different direction. These people are repentant. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But there had to be testing. There had to be proof. There had to be speaking rough. Are y'all hearing me? All these steps that Joseph went through. He had to put the mirror in front of them to test their character. Are you the same brothers or not? Did you do the same thing to my brother that you did to me? Or are you different? He had to put them through that process. And when it worked... He wept with joy. There's something come in my spirit right now about a man by the name of Brother Billy Cole. Brother Billy Cole was, I believe, more than a prophet of God. He's gone on to be with the Lord. You can go on the internet and look up some of the preaching of Brother Billy Cole. He was powerfully used of God throughout the world. And Brother Billy Cole, when he was had the oversight of a church... There was a young man that came to him and he wanted to be a Sunday school teacher. So Brother Billy Cole tested his character. Brother Billy Cole put him in a Sunday school class with another teacher. And the other teacher got all the credit for everything that happened in the class. Got all the recognition. He had to do, this, this young man had to do all the work behind the scenes and 
He did all the hard work and some of the hard labor and he never got recognized, but that teacher got recognized. And Brother Billy Cole was testing that man's spirit. That young man did not get bitter toward Brother Billy Cole. Brother Billy Cole testified out of his own mouth. That man did not get bitter toward Brother Billy Cole. Brother Billy Cole talked to that young man and tears began to flow down Brother Billy Cole's face. Because Billy Cole, Brother Billy Cole, saw everything that that young man went through. But that young man kept a good attitude. That young man kept a good spirit. He didn't know Brother Billy Cole was testing his character. He passed the test. And Brother Billy Cole's testimony at times, he didn't even treat that young man very well. But that young man passed the test. And with tears running down his face, Brother Billy Cole confessed to that young man what he had done. How he tested his character. And how he passed the test. Tears running down his face because of how he had to treat the young man to find out what kind of person he was. You never know when you're being tested. You never know. Your spirit's manifested in a time of testing trial. And if you if you handle it right, there's promotion waiting for you. But maybe you gotta confess some things. Maybe you have to be willing to be tested before God can exalt you. Do you understand that today? That young man could have got mad and quit the church and left got mad at Billy Cole and quit the church and all this foolishness that goes on. But he didn't. He kept a good spirit. That's what was being looked for. What kind of person is this? So Joseph put him through a hard time, even in prison. His own brother. Can you imagine putting your brethren in prison? You put your own family members in prison? Can you imagine that? How hard that must be? But when it works... I said, but when it works, how many of you got the spiritual and moral fortitude to put your own family members in prison so they'll repent? But when it works, tears can then flow from your face and say, thank you, Jesus, because it worked. I'm just telling you, we need Joseph to be lifted up in front of our eyes so we can see how to handle situations. And what you do is not because you're angry or bitter or in resentment and all that. It's because you're looking for repentance. You're looking for confession. And then you know what? When it happens, then let the tears flow. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful that it turned out this way. It was hanging in the balance. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how these people were going to respond. But thank God. Thank you, Jesus. They repented. Thank you, Jesus. And the tears, you can go behind the door and just begin to weep and say, Thank you, Lord. It worked. I didn't know if it was going to. I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But it worked, Jesus. And then you can go behind the door and let the tears of joy begin to flow. Because it took a lot of moral strength and a lot of spiritual strength 
for you to test the character of the person. Because you knew that blessing them without proving their character, if they're not people of character, blessing would be lost. It would be a waste. We have to have wisdom. We have to know how to handle situations. and We have to have wisdom because the world handles things differently from the way God handles them. If you want people to go to heaven, you've got to handle it the way God handles it. If you want spirit, if you want something that real to take place in a church, it's got to be real. Amen. You can go to church, anybody, you, maybe some of you today, this is the last time I'll ever see you. You can go sit in a church somewhere and they tickle your ears and it's all wonderful. No, it's not. It's not all wonderful. But you're made to feel that way. Or you can come to some, to a place where it's real. I want something that's real. And Joseph knew if he didn't bring his brothers to a place of repentance, it wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be real. Then you're living in an illusion, in an imaginary world which allows you to continually be deceived. Look at your neighbor and say it worked. And they didn't know it. But he's standing right there in front of them. Man, they're spilling the beans, man. They're confessing, boy. And Reuben's jumping on him. The firstborn son's jumping on him. You should have listened to him, but he didn't listen to me. You know? And on the inside, the tears are beginning to well up. That's good. Thank you, Jesus. Tears of joy. Not tears of sorrow. Amen. Isn't God good? I think, and without really going in here and preaching all this back to you about Jesus, this is all a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's doing with the nation of Israel right now. And what he's doing with the church right now to bring us to repentance. So we'll look in the mirror and say, this is what we're going through, what we're going through. He wept, returned to them again and, and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Simeon means hearing. Right now the nation of Israel is deaf concerning Joseph, Messiah ben Joseph, their death, death concerning him. They're imprisoned because of the way they treated him. They rejected him. Do you understand? So right now in the present time, they're deaf, but thank God their ears are going to be open. They're going to recognize who he is, who Messiah is. Simeon's the one that's taken. He's thrown in prison. Well, number one, again, it's a type. They wouldn't hear, so hearing is bound. See, every time you and I close our ears to the Word of God, do you know what? We use our ability, lose our ability to hear. Do you open your ears to the Word of God? It gives you ability to hear more. They close their ears to the past, now ears, their ears are being bound in a prison cell. That's, that scares me half to death, but Jared, if God's talking to me, I want to listen. 
because I don't want my ears to be bound. And the more you say no to Him, the more you reject Him, the more your hearing becomes bound. You understand? And I don't think it's just because He represents hearing that's bound, but I I really, I have a feeling that Simeon was the one out of the bunch that mistreated Joseph the worst. He was probably the, the number one instigator of the whole thing. So, he's the one that needs to sit a little longer and think about it a little longer. I wish the whole church was in here this morning. Not just you. See, you get all, you get all the goodies, man. They're over there. They're enjoying themselves teaching Sunday school. You know, the Word of God's not hitting them. They, they're just having a good old time party and everything. And then you get to come in here and you get to hear all of this. Amen kind of makes you wonder, makes you feel like you've been picked on, doesn't it? Praise the Lord. How many of y'all get anything from the Word this morning? So what did Joseph do? The commandment goes forth to fill their sacks. Blessing now can come because of repentance. Fill their sacks. Amen with corn. And the Bible says, and not only that, but restore every man's money into his sack to give them provision for the way and thus did he unto them. What an amazing story. They don't know it, but they're being blessed. They've confessed, they've repented, now the blessings come, but they don't even know it. And the Bible tells us, and I'm going to read all the verses, you can read it for yourself. As they make their journey, they come to an inn, a place to rest, and one of them happens to open up his saddlebags. He said, look. He said, not only is there corn in this saddlebag, this sack, but there's my money's back in here. <laughs> See? And, and you know what? Only one of them checked. It's not till they travel down the road further and they're going to make a report to their daddy as they travel down the road to do that that the rest of them realize, hey, our sacks are full too and all of our money has been restored. How many of us, we're blessed right now, but we don't even know we're blessed until we get down the road a ways. And then we look back and say, hey, look, we're blessed. And I didn't even know I was blessed. Do you understand a bless, an unexpected blessing had come to them? They weren't expecting this blessing. They didn't even know they had the blessing. They got down the road before they even discovered the blessing. Isn't God good? Unexpected blessing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. 
Last Sunday when I announced Sunday morning is going to be a very significant day for the church. Amen. I had one precious sister wrote, wrote me a thank you card afterwards. and She said, I wondered all day long what you were going to do. All day long. You know? And, and, and I'm not going to tell you what she thought I was going to do, but she, she didn't think it was going to be good. Are you here? And, uh, and then she says, and to get a check. She thought it was going to be this. She says, get a check. She says, you know I'm already a mess. The whole point being is that unexpected blessings come to us. We're not expecting it. And in fact, when they get blessed and all their money's been restored back to them, you know the way they look at it? They don't look at it as a blessing. Why? Because they have a guilty conscience. They know they don't deserve it. They know what they do deserve is judgment. So when the blessing comes to them unexpectedly, look at their response when they find out that money is restored. Verse 28, He said to them, His brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack, and their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this thing God hath done unto us? Do you understand? They're worried that they're going to be accused of being a thief. They're worried that their money, the money that's been put back, they're going to be accused of taking the money. They don't count it as a blessing. They're afraid that it's going to put them under judgment. What does that tell you? They recognize they don't deserve the blessing. They recognize what they deserve is judgment. They're afraid. Wow. You know what that tells you, church? It tells you that there's true repentance working in their life. Because when you get to a place where you recognize and I recognize I deserve judgment, that's a place of true repentance. Until you get to a place and you've done things wrong and you, you don't say, I deserve judgment and not blessing, you don't have true repentance in your life. But when God blesses you and you know you deserve judgment, you know you're coming to repentance. You say, God, I don't deserve it. You're so good. I deserve judgment and Amen. Give God praise. You understand that? But if you there's there, if you walk in this church, I deserve better. <laughs> and you get blessed. If you are if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, 
If it doesn't bring me to a place, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And when God blesses your life in an unexpected way, when you don't deserve it, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And you need to say, Lord, I don't deserve it, but thank you for it, God. And I worship you and I praise you, Father, for it. I deserve judgment, but you bless me. And the goodness of God leads me to repentance because I know what I deserve, but He doesn't give me what I deserve. He gives me blessing. That's the kind of God that we serve. But until you get to a place and stop where you start, stop looking at you deserve better, then you're not repentant. You can say, God, it, it could have been a lot worse. You can say, God, it, it could be a lot worse than it is right now. Lord, thank you that it's not worse than it is right now. I deserve worse than I'm getting right now. That's a sign of a, a broken and a contrite heart. Man, this is all good. Their conscience is bothering them. What is this that God hath done unto us? They came unto Jacob their father. Going to deliver the report unto the land of Canaan and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the, who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men. We're not spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that you are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me and take food for the famine for your household and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that you are no spies, but that you are true men. So will I deliver you your brother, and you shall traffic in the land. It came to pass as they emptied their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were what? They were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Okay, so he's Joseph's gone. Now Simeon is in prison. And now... The ruler of the land is asking for his only connection to Rachel, Benjamin. How does Jacob look at the whole situation? Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me, have you bereaved of my children? Boy, he was accurate there. I don't even know that he realized it. But when he said to them, You bereaved me of my children, he was right on. His sons never confessed to him. 20 years have come and gone. His sons never confessed to their daddy what they had done. They showed him complete and total disrespect. Are y'all awake? So the way Jacob looks at it is, well, I'm bereaved of my children. Joseph's not. Simeon is not. And you'll take Benjamin away. All these... All these things are against me. No, Jacob, they're not. 
That's the way you look at it. You look at, well, I can understand, can't you? Why he might. I mean, Joseph's gone. He's been grieving for 20 years. Now Simeon's in prison and Benjamin's fixing to have to be taken and go to Egypt. I can understand how he feels. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? We felt like all of this is against me. Anybody be truthful, lift your hand and say, I've said that before or felt that way before. Everything is against me. I mean, we've probably all been through situations in our life where we said the same thing. It is all against me. The whole world is against me. You know? Everybody in the church is against me. My family's against me. All these things are against me. Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever said that? I can understand. Jerry didn't lift his hand because he has um, lived. He's a, he's a baby. He hasn't lived very long. Lift your hand, Jared, so they know who. This is Jay, Jared. He's just a little baby. He's a baby. He hasn't lived long. So he didn't lift his hand. He didn't say yes because he had no reason to feel that way. But you live a little while. After a while, you say, all of, this, all of these things are against me. Okay? Again, we're not seeing correctly. Because all of these things were not against Jacob. They were working to help Jacob. Okay, go ahead, brother. Hey, clap your hand. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you. Go ahead. Yeah. Amen. He tried to, he's going to clap his hand. He about dropped his Bible trying to clap his hand. He's so excited. But you know how, how that how it is in life and it seems like everything's against you the world's against you and all everything's against you and you don't even realize that God's behind the scene He's going to use it for the good but we understand don't we when we've been in those situations when it looks like everything's against us but I will say to you as a church today if you're walking with God all these things are not against you they're working to help they're working to help this church. You gotta start, you gotta start believing the Word of God. You gotta start seeing God, the way God works in situations. You gotta say, it, it, it looks like everything's against me, but I'm trusting God. He's gonna work this out for the good. I'm trusting God. This is not for my bad. It's for my good. He knows the thoughts that He has towards us. Thoughts of good, not thoughts of evil. To bring you to an expected end. He's already got a plan. He's already got an end in mind. If you'll just trust Him, He's going to get you. He got you through the last test. He's going to get you through the next test. He's going to get you through the present test. God is a faithful God. But sometimes it looks so bad, you say, it's all against me. No, God is a good God. How many of you have got you through some tests in the past? Has He ever failed you? God has never failed me once. You might fail God, but He remains faithful. Amen? And so the Bible says, you know, Reuben knowing and the, the brother knowing that they have to take Benjamin back in order to get some more corn, it's been ordered by the king. We'll call him the king. Amen? Here goes Reuben. The elder brother. Wisdom doesn't always reside in the older brother. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and tell him wisdom doesn't always reside in the older brother. 
See, some, some of you, this don't mean a thing to you. I want to see you after you've been through some things. You know? Well, I don't want to talk to the, to, to, to the father. I don't want to talk to the pastor. I'm going to go talk to the older brother. Just remember this. When you go talk to the older brother in the church, sometimes they don't have very much wisdom. Okay? Big Jared? Baby Jared? This big old guy, man. I just need to go talk to an older brother. Well, all right, I don't have a problem with that. But sometimes when sheep are trying to cancel sheep, counsel sheep, we got a problem. Maybe there's some people in the church, they've been around a long time, they do have some spiritual wisdom. And you can glean from them. They will encourage you. But in this case, not so. I want you to listen to the, the logic that comes out of the older brother's mouth. Reuben. Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. How stupid can you get? Reuben says, I tell you what, you put Benjamin in my hands, I'll bring him back to you, and if I don't bring him back to you, if you lose your son, then kill your two grandsons. Oh, that's a real good answer. I mean, that's really going to be helpful, right? If you lose this son, Benjamin, go ahead and kill your two grandsons. I mean, how stupid can you get? How, how is killing your two grandsons going to make losing your son better? Wisdom doesn't always reside in the older brother. Right? I mean, does that make any sense to you guys? Huh? I mean, would that, would that comfort you? If you were a dad, and you know, your oldest son comes up and tells you, I'll tell you what, I, if I don't bring little brother home, kill, kill my grandkids. That doesn't accomplish anything. Reuben, you need help. <laughs> Verse 38. What's the response of Jacob? Is he going to let Benjamin go? No. He tells you, I am not going to let him go. Jacob refuses at this point to allow Benjamin to go. Again, because Benjamin is his last connection to Rachel. In his mind, Joseph's dead. Amen? Real quickly, the 43rd chapter, the famine was sore in the land. And the bread, the corn that they had gotten from, from Egypt, they ate it up. And so once again, there's no corn in the household. And so, I don't know how long the time went, but they got to go back to Egypt. And the only way they can go back to Egypt is to bring Benjamin with them. That's the only way they can get corn. But their daddy has already said no. But the king said, except you bring him, except you bring Benjamin, go get Benjamin, let you bring him back, there'll be no corn. That means the family's going to starve to death. 
except you bring Benjamin, you can't see the face of the king. So what are we going to do? Daddy said, no. Daddy's going to have to change his mind. Just real typically uh, for a type for you to understand is that whenever, it, whenever we have these verses in the Scripture it says, go get Benjamin. And without Benjamin, you can't see the face of the king. Typically what that means is this, is if Jesus is not Messiah ben Joseph, the son of suffering, and also the son or Benjamin, the son of power, the son of the right hand, in your life, you won't see the face of the king. He has to be the one who suffered and died for you, and he has to be the son of the right hand, the son of power, in order for you to see the face of the king. Because remember Benjamin, when he was first born, Benoni, the son of suffering, and his daddy said, No, he's not the son, he's not Benoni, he's not the son of suffering, he is the son of power, Benjamin. So Benjamin is a dual type of suffering and exaltation. If Jesus is not seen in your life as the one who suffered for you and the one who will rule and reign in your life, you won't see the face of the king. So what's the daddy going to do? Well, as we come to a close, the Bible tells us, Judah, verse 8, he's got a little more wisdom than Reuben. And Judah says, I'll tell you what, I'll stand in his place. Says, I'll, I'll take care of him. I'll, I'll watch out for him and I'll stand in his place. If something's going to happen to him, I'll take his place. If, you know, basically, if he's going to be put to death, I'll lift my hand. Judah says, I'll lift my hand and I'll die in his place. Do you start seeing it now? The brethren have really changed. Instead of being willing to have Benjamin die, we got one that says, I'll die in his place. See, these brothers are really changed. These brothers have a different attitude. They have a different spirit than what they had before. And you can read the story in your leisure. Verse, verse 10, For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned the second time. Verse 11, And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so, now do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry them down the manna present, a little balm, little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds. Okay? Take a present to the king. Take a present to the ruler. And you list it here. And all of these things are typical. In verse 12, he says, Take double money, double money, the money that you had before, and now more money, he says. Verse 12, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks carried again in your hand per adventure. It was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again unto this man. Unto the man. God, and here's what Jacob says. I want you to catch this. At this point, church, he's resolved to be bereaved of all his kids. He's already experienced 20 years of suffering and agony over Joseph. Simeon is in prison. In his mind, he's fixing to have to give up Benjamin. In his mind, he's willing to give up all his children. Here's what he says. Israel said in verse 11 unto them, If I must now do this, 
take of the best fruits and take the present. Verse 12, take double money. Verse 13, take Benjamin. And verse 14, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother. And Benjamin, if I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He says, if I have to die without my kids, if I have to die lonely, so be it. Look at what he does. He calls upon God as El Shaddai. El Shaddai. He said, I'm going to cling to El Shaddai. If I lose my kids, I'm going to cling to El Shaddai. Listen to me carefully. He ever was and he was always and ever was grabbing a hold of God and clinging to Him. We've already studied it. When he wrestled with the angel, he said, I will not let you go till you bless me. Jacob, all he knew to do was cling to God in order to be blessed. And he says, El Shaddai, which, you know, God Almighty, God All-Powerful, but the Hebrew means Shad is the breasted one. He says, I'm clinging to God as a God who's like a mother who takes care of her children. I'm clinging to God like a mother who feeds its children at the breast. He's God Almighty El Shaddai. Jacob says, I'm going to cling to His breast. I'm going to cling to God as... And he's, God is not a woman, but He's likened to a woman who nurtures. And so Jacob once again says, I'm going to cling to Shaddai. I'm going to cling to Him. I know He can nurture me. I know He can take care of me. I know He's like a mother that cares. I know He's like a mother that will feed me. I will cling to His breast. I'll cling to the breasted one like I always have and ever will. And if, my if I die without my children, I'm still going to be holding on to God. What an awesome man of God. When you get to that place, what do you say? I'm going to keep clinging to God even if I have to die without my children. That's big time. That's big time. Keep trusting you, God. I'm going to keep holding on to you, God. You're all i got left, God. But I know you care about me. And I know you nurture me. And I know you take, you'll feed me. Even if I die alone. And the men took that present and took double money in their sacks just as they were told. And we know the story. And when Joseph saw Benjamin, verse 16, with them, he said to the ruler of the house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men. Shall dine with me at noon. And the men did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. They're fixing to have a feast now. They brought Benjamin with them. Joseph's planning a great big celebration, a great big feast for them. Again, they don't recognize what it's all about. 
The verse 18 says, And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, Because of the money that was returned in our sex, the first time we, we brought it in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. See, see, we're going to be accused of stealing that money. We're fixing to be brought into his house. Judgment's fixing to fall on us. Once again, in their mind, they deserve judgment. But Joseph's preparing a feast for him. To make a long story short, the Bible says that Joseph prepares this huge celebration, this huge feast. They've come to the end of themselves. They have repented. They understand what they deserve. And as he prepares this huge feast for them, Joseph begins to arrange the table. He puts the oldest son, Reuben, all the way down by age, from the older son all the way to the younger son, he sets him at that table. It's blowing their mind as he puts them in rank. How does this man know that Reuben is the oldest? How does this man know the ages of each one of the brethren? It's blowing their mind. How did he know that? Amen? Verse 26, When Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand in the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. Again, fulfillment of prophecy. He asked them of their welfare. How'd it go with you? You're doing all right? But then notice, how's daddy? How's daddy? He asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? How's daddy? How's your dad? You know what he's doing? He's testing them again. Because they have disrespected their daddy for over 20 years. Lied to their daddy. Disrespected him. Joseph asked them the question, How's your father? Do they even care? Do they respect Him? Let's see what their response is. They answered, Thy servant our father is in good health. He's yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. Finally, after all these years and everything that they've been tested and everything that's been going on in the present right now concerning Joseph, they finally in their heart have moved to a place where they have respect for their father. And they bow their head as a sign of their submission. See, Joseph needed to know that. How do you look at your daddy? You said he's doing well. He's yet alive. Bow your head in submission when you say it. 
in humility? Joseph knows he's dealing with change, brothers. Verse 29, he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. Little Benjamin was just a little, 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 little one. <laughs> the last time Joseph saw him, he was a little, 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 little. Maybe like a little rider. A little rider's about two years old right now, you know. Joseph saw Benjamin when he was just a little one. Running around the house. 20 years. He looks up and he sees his full brother the son of his mother. Can you, you can imagine what that must have been like, this reunion. And the Bible says, he asked the question, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. And he sought where to weep. He entered into his chamber and wept. He, he had to get away from the situation. He had to get over there. He had to cry in secret. Just wept and wept and wept. You can imagine the emotion. It must have been there. He washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread. And they set for him by himself and for them by themselves. For the Egyptians would eat with, with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination of the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. How did he know this? Verse 34. He took and sent messengers unto them from before him, but Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Benjamin got five times the rest of them. What the rest of them got. Five times. See, if they were still the same brothers, they would have let jealousy rise up. Amen? See, Joseph's still testing them. Are you the jealous type? We're going to find out if you're the jealous type. I'm going to give Benjamin five times what I give the rest of you. And if you're the jealous type, like you were when you did to Joseph what you did out of jealousy, that's going to be seen. But when Benjamin gets five times what the rest of them got, jealousy was gone. They didn't have it anymore. They all sat down and celebrated and enjoyed. They drank and were merry. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat> that mirror has worked. Father God, we come before you right now. We thank you for your mighty word today. We ask God that the word that's been preached to each and every one of us, that by your spirit we would take and apply it. We would do something with it. Father God, as we reflect in the mirror, things that happen in our life let it bring us to a realization and an understanding of what we've done in the past let it bring us to repentance God because you desire to bless your people 
We thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us. We recognize what we truly deserve is not your blessing, but your judgment. We stand before you in awe and respect and thankfulness. We realize, Lord, that someday soon, the people's ears who are now bound, those who have rejected you, Jesus, and refused to hear, would begin to reflect upon those things that were done to you. Let it bring them to repentance as well. As they repent of their betrayal and come back to you. We ask, Father God, for we know by the word of the Lord that it will come to pass. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And everybody said in Jesus' name, Amen. So, Lord willing, next Sunday morning we're going to look at that final test, the final test, where Joseph takes and puts a silver cup in the bag of one of his brothers. And uh, that final, final test is going to reveal the true condition of his brethren. But we'll wait to do that. May the Lord bless you real good. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen.